You're listening to the Laugh Factory Podcast Network. For more shows, visit the podcast page at laughfactory.com. Zowsers. Hey guys, it's Bill Dawes here with Tommy Wakefield. Good to be here. Doing the after laugh, pre laugh. I've been out of town. I've been in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. How was that? Not to brag. Um, it was, I'm shooting a, a TV show there called Manhunt for Netflix. Ooh. I play an FBI tech guy. The first day I showed up. You're the I guy in the, the van? I had the wrong scene. And so I had to memorize the scene in 10 minutes. I should oh. not say that in public. Anyway, um, it's fine. So, uh, but I got to open for Jay Moore for the weekend and Donnell Rawlings. Hopefully they'll be on the podcast. You never know. Sometimes like you bond with people on the road and then you come back to LA it's and different. they won't have coffee with you at Coffee Bean. Right. Damn. Brutal you business. Know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, it's like when you have sex with someone at a wedding. And then you meet up <laughs> yeah, yeah. In yeah. real life, and you're like, ugh, I don't like you. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. so uh, anyway, I uh, am going to be in Saudi Arabia for eight days. Wow. Telling jokes about camels. What can you tell jokes about? You can tell jokes about. Can camels. they cut your head off if you bomb? Uh, I think if I say the word bomb, they'll cut my head off. Um, you can't do sex jokes, can't do religion jokes, and you can't do polit- political jokes. Oh no! So you could do racist jokes. I can make fun. Of, <laughs> I could probably make fun of Indians until the days come. You know, you know, the cows come home. Because oh Indians, my god, that's so weird. Because it, it, they don't like Indians. Yeah, they're like we they're only like, only tell racist jokes. <laughs> it's just, like the opposite of here. Yeah. So. uh Anyway, I'll be in, and then I will be going to Australia with Monster Brian. So I'm not gonna be. There's not gonna be a lot of these like pre-show things. Anyway, um, the guy in the show right now is Chris Booker, and in the very beginning, I go, "Hey, we're Eskimo brothers." You mm-hmm. know that you know that term, right? When you have sex with the same lady, is that a misogynistic term to say? I guess it depends how you say it. Um, I was punching a woman while I said it. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no fine but then. What do you mean? I, I just said, hey, we're Eskimo brothers. And then I thought, like, is that is is that something I shouldn't say? Is that bad? Does it come off as sexist or whatever? I, I don't know why. I, you know, it's like How te- did he respond? He goes, what? I go, we both dated this girl, Karen. He goes, oh, yeah, Karen. He goes, oh, Karen, I was not talking about her. Um, <laughs> it, oh didn't end, it didn't end well. But anyway, uh, so. Uh, um, he's Did that end the podcast? Huh? In the beginning of the podcast. Yeah. Anyway, so Chris Booker <laughs> is a friend of mine. I know him through my ex-girlfriend, Karen right. Bernstein, who he then dated. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a radio personality in uh, New York. He worked with Howard Stern. He worked under Howard Stern. And he just had a cool story. He grew up in a trailer park. Wow. In in West Virginia. He kind of grew up grew up like white trash in the way that like I want to have grown up white trash. Right. <laughs> like I pretend I grew up that white trash, but uh-huh. I was only yeah, halfway yeah. half trash. Right. So um but he grew up like legit <laughs> yeah. on the river trailer. Like deep. And then people go, Oh, you grew up a double wide. He in goes, It was a single wide motherfucker. Um <laughs> I just stole his joke from the podcast. Anyway, it he he's great. He uh, he has a <laughs> podcast now with Prez Hilton. It's called the Prez Hilton Show. It's him Prez. They shoot the shit about uh, entertainment. It's just starting to blow up now. Uh, he's got a great voice, dulcet tones. It went on for a long time, and uh, I think you'll enjoy it. This Hell is yeah. Chris Booker. It's the after laugh, after laugh. Welcome to the after laugh, after laugh, after laugh, <laughs> after laugh, man. <laughs> Go ahead, pull up a chair. Hey guys, welcome welcome to the Afterlife. Uh, this is a special episode. I know I feel like I, I say that probably more than than is merited, but uh, 
I'm here with someone. I've Chris Booker. I've known you for how long now? Do you even know? Twenty years. Twenty. Fifteen years. years. Don't age me that much. Forty-two years. <laughs> so I, I, uh, so Chris Booker. For people who don't know, he is. Uh, I don't. I, I guess we, we, we in the world would describe you as a radio personality. Yeah. Um, would you have what? What title would you like to go by? Is there something if someone said Chris Booker is a dickhead? Is a dickhead? I like that. <laughs> Sometimes people go, "Do you want to be called an actor or a comic?" And I'm always like, if "Employed." I'm, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> if I'm on set for a TV show, then mm-hmm. call me an actor. Right. Every other time, call me. So basically, call me a comic. In other words, I am a guest at the moment. You're a guest. That's you're, what I am. You're just a guy who I, I bugged and I said, "Come on down." Didn't um, you do my radio show in New York? We had you on a couple times because that is, I think, isn't that how I met you? Maybe through an ex girlfriend of yours. Okay, and then so I went to see you perform. Yeah, let's let's get down to this. So we are we are actually Eskimo brothers, mm-hmm. which is I don't know. You're probably the first person on the podcast who's an Eskimo brother. You're looking at me like you don't know what that is. Mm-mm. You never heard of Eskimo Brother? You mean like we kissed uh, the same girl and we, is it one of those? We did more than, yeah, we both <laughs> we both dated uh, a woman named Karen Bernstein. Oh, God. Okay. Got oh, it. you probably got some Karen Bernstein stories. No, thank you. No, thank you. Love her. Nuttier than the fruitcake. Karen Bernstein. She is She is in New York. Every once in a while I get a call from, oh, Bill, and there's like some big drama and she'll talk an hour straight and I'll cook dinner. Yeah. I'll watch a movie. I'll come back. She's still talking. Um but she's a door. Anyway, so I met you through through Karen Bernstein, and you came to the I don't know if you remember this. You came to the Times Square Laugh Factory. That's where I saw you, and yeah. that and, and I knew that you were, uh, I knew that I liked you because you were you were funny and and very talented, and uh, and I remember that show. I even, I even remember some of the bits from that show, and I, I have a horrible memory, but I just <laughs> wait. I really, well, thought I don't you were rem- really. I don't remember any bits. From I the show. I do. I can kind of I can kind of remember some of the things that you were doing, and <laughs> yeah, like it, was, it was a good bit. It was a good stand up. Oh, I can't. Do you remember anything? You, there was a lot of like, you know, since you're racist and all, there's a lot of racist yes. jokes. Sexism um, and racism has kind of been my wheelhouse for a long time. You're from Virginia? Yeah. Yeah, and I'm West Virginia. Wait, you're from West Virginia? Yeah. I don't think I knew that. Yeah, I am. Because you have zero accent. No, I have it. You do? You don't, you don't hear it? No. It's when you, here. When you drink, does it come out? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too. When I drink, it comes out. When I, when I get when I get drunk, I start sounding like like Matthew McConaughey a little bit. I hear that a lot. <laughs> I, I hear that now. Yeah. Now kinda, it's I all kinda, I can hear. I just kind of jump into it. It's like, hey, man, you hey, know, man. I'm getting a little drunk right now. Uh, West, where in West Virginia? I'm from upstate, if you will, the northern upstate panhandle. West Virginia. Uh, from like the Wheeling area. The Wheeling area. Mm-hmm. I literally have no idea what that means. I that would be that. like, it's funny that the state of West Virginia is actually shaped like a middle finger. Like a middle finger. I'm from here. Okay. <laughs> I grew up on the Ohio River. So I'm Pittsburgh adjacent between Columbus, Cleveland, and Pittsburgh. So I'm sort of right in the middle. So a town like that, so was that like, in my mind, because I'm stupid and not that educated, uh, I feel like it was a mining mining town no, no, back no, in that, the day. A lot of the mining towns were. That would be the southern part of West Virginia. Okay. I'm. I mean, so there there are different parts, but not mostly. I don't know if there were ever any active mines in the northern okay. panhandle of West. So Virginia. what was the industry? Just tubing. <laughs> a, lot a lot of, of boating. <laughs> But really, what was the industry there? Well, there were, you know, I grew up on the river, so there were a lot of plants up and down the river. There would have been Mobe and PPG. Um, okay. There, it was a lot of factories. A, a lot, lot of company of, men. Lot of, yeah, a lot of plants. A lot of, yeah. I watched 
the Rust Belt. You know, I, lo- I watched a lot of those places close over the years. So Yeah, so that is technically the Rust Belt. I always hear that. I don't know exactly what that encompasses. So that is like Ohio. I'm going to be in Pittsburgh next week, so this is interesting. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. So it's kind of – so the industry there is basically these, these plants. They're probably not there anymore, a lot of them, huh? No. Or they've changed to something else. I mean, yeah. sometimes I'll see one of the plants. Boy, this is really boring. But as I drive no, I love down it. the river, I'll see some of the plants that have they've they've changed into other things. Yeah, uh, places that make uh, drywall and such. Where before <laughs> they used to make steel. Yeah, or, yeah, I got it. PPG was Pittsburgh plate glass. So they made chemicals. Mobe was a chemical company. They turned into Bear and made pharmaceutical stuff yeah, so yeah. It, they all kind of changed into something else yeah and your dad was he's one of these company men uh he's dead he's dead <laughs> before that he killed himself thanks bill did he kill himself yeah, by the that's way a whole other story by the that's way fine. you realize that i talked to comics so suicide comes you never up know constantly last night i you're talked per, to someone you're actually the one person prepared for it yeah believe Dude, me tell like, me how suicide, does he do it go Gone. on <laughs> Yeah, like to now, the head. Now the podcast probably is depressed. Started. No, seriously, one one of the most popular podcasts we had this this very funny comic named Vanessa Johnson. Her dad killed himself, and she came on the podcast five days later. Wow! And she talked about it. She had jokes about it. I don't know if you have any jokes about your dad. Oh my god! I really need to mine into that, don't I? <laughs> nope. Um, so we obviously we don't have to talk about that. We no, no, can, no, no. My my mother remarried. Um, I didn't know my father growing up. And let's okay. not turn this into a therapy session, but Please. I didn't know my father growing up. Uh, my mother remarried. They divorced at some point. So that's an open... My dad, yeah. I don't know. So what was it like growing up in, in the Rust Belt in West Virginia? I mean... We- do you have like tapes of yourself when you're a kid and you just had like an like total West Virginia, like the wonderful world of the whites? You know that you know the whites, right? Yeah, it's it's a the accent where I'm from is a little it's it's very weird because it is it's not West Virginia at all. I mean, yeah. West Virginia is very downstate. It's very Beckley, and it's very a lot of people. You know, they talk like this from West Virginia. You know. From the part of the state I'm from, it, it's next to Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh's yeah. got that weird, you know, go, we're going to going downtown to see a Stars play on Sunday. You know, we're going to do that. They have that accent. Yeah. So then West Virginia has a the part that I'm from has a very kind of stuck between the South and the weird Pittsburgh accent like thing, mid, Midwesternish kind of. It's it's not quite as bad as like a Chicago a wine. It just yeah. has a very it's a very particular lazy kind of draw it's yeah it's not quite a draw but it's it's uh it's it's ugly i think it's just a very <laughs> ugly language yeah yeah for sure and did you always have a, a penchant for for voices and and dialects because when you dropped in that it was like seamless is this and as a radio guy like obviously that's sort of your wheelhouse did you have like a a gift for that growing up did i tell you, you know what that? i never investigated it if i did i it's more of a thing i just like to kind of play around with and to be honest with you Doing a show with you right now without headphones on is kind of oh really because yeah. it would be easier. I could hear myself actually yeah. doing it. Now I'm just relying on yeah. Trust me, I get these comics coming. They they drink, they smoke some weed, they sit down, and it does become a therapy session with some good dick jokes in there thrown in every once in a while. So we don't have, yeah, I know this, but it's good. It's your comfort zone. So um because obviously you you have a great radio voice. Thank you. Um, no one's ever told me that, uh, but. When did you? Is that something that you heard growing up? No, college? How, I, I was, you get, how did you get into that? I think I was the loudest guy in class. I heard that a lot. Like the teachers from the next room would come over and yell at my teacher and say, "Hey, 
Chris, uh, we got to shut him the fuck up because he's very loud and he he talks very loud. And I, I got that a lot. I always knew that my voice carried. I never thought it was a good voice. No yeah. one ever said you have a nice voice or anything like that. I think I have a kind of a peculiar voice because there are a lot of highs in it. And yet there's it's low somehow. So I don't my voice is, yeah. would be very hard to do an impression of because yes. there's there's so many weird things going on. So I think I just have a peculiar voice that ends up working for radio i, I guess yeah. coming out of a microphone yeah but it's different with headphones on and i think i sound different it's it's more broadcasting than talking sure sure um i think just naturally i enunciate more when i have a microphone in my hand yeah and i'm much lazier when i don't so ah that makes sense yeah i get that and uh so when you went to college were you just like into radio broadcasting yeah. was it, I, oh uh, so you knew already i I didn't know. It was one of those things where I loved music. Um, I was uh, a mobile high school DJ. Band? No, I was a mobile DJ. What does a mobile DJ mean? Like I would go and play dances, uh, like as a DJ, like oh, play like the bar high mitzvahs school dance. If there were Jews in West there Virginia, there were no Jewish people in West Virginia. <laughs> they killed them. <laughs> they um, had them. They took care of them. We took care of those people. Um, I knew of one Jewish woman. Uh, it was our Spanish teacher, which is very confusing, and she was fat, and we called her Ola Flabola. I do remember <laughs> that. Uh, no, I I stumbled into radio. I had a girlfriend whose brother was a DJ, and her best friend was a DJ. And the circle that I ran with uh, as I was going to college was um, they all were on the radio. And they uh. said, hey, we have a part-time overnight weekend job opening like sunday night midnight to six in the morning oh my god those the yeah, greatest I've heard about hours those. right those are the greatest the hours great, the great you have four listeners and you get to wash the station van and you get to do the worst jobs in the world and go on pool patrols and and it's unpaid too probably right uh it, it, minimum wage minimum whatever wage, that was yeah. three four dollars whatever it was <laughs> yeah. an hour back in the 20s um and I just kind of fell into it and I, I took the job and I figured out how to do it. And then at some point I was, I was like, wow, I guess I'm I, on the radio. I guess this is what I'm doing. Yeah. As a poor kid from West Virginia that grew up in a trailer park. You literally grew up in a trailer oh, park. Oh yeah. 28 Rose street, box 70 North. I mean, yeah. Wow. So I came from nothing. I mean, yeah. I, I watched my neighbor get murdered. Like I, I Whoa. I lived in the trailer. How park. old were you? Your neighbor got murdered. That was a crazy story. I was playing football with my buddy Brian in his front yard, and this woman, a few trailers down, she came bust. And I think we're, we must have been, eight nine. This woman comes out of her trailer. She's got a shotgun, and she's yelling at her husband who doesn't have a shirt on, and she pumps one right into his chest with a twelve gauge. He falls down in the middle of the street. We're like passing football. We're like. What just happened? You know, and uh, I don't know. I guess he was cheating or something, but she just came out and just blew him right across the street. It was amazing. Wow. Yeah. Why would you, when you're in a trailer park, how would you even get away with cheating? Like go to the other, you have to go to another <laughs> whole trailer park or something. <laughs> right. You need to go to the trailer park across the road. <laughs> That's South really. Street, not the north part of the trailer park. I don't the think... south part, the fancy part. Like, I lived in the shitty part too. I didn't even live in the good part of the trailer park. You know what pisses me off about the trailer park? You were the park? ghetto of the trailer park. Yeah. You know what pisses me off? Because you're a hick, too. You're you're from Virginia. But like so. I say, I always say my act, I'm half white, half trash. I, I didn't grow up as hicky as this. Okay. This is what I envy. 
Like I, I get. That. I wish I was from. In a way, it kind of gives you. It's like black guys getting shot with a gun. Like you have maximum street cred. I do cred. have a little bit of cred because yeah. of it. Yeah, but no one ever believes it. They're like, "Fucking trailer park, get the fuck out of here." Not really. Where's your accent? Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. Things like that. Why are you here? I don't know why I'm here. I don't know how I escaped. I have no idea. Um, what was I saying about the uh, the killing? You said you li- the thing that got you mad that you live in oh, the shitty part oh, of the trailer park. What really upsets me about that is people always make the joke. They'll say to live in a double wide, and it always pisses me off because I'm like, no, that was for rich people, you fuck. <laughs> like we just had the regular single trailer. That's true. One trailer. Oh, that's t- if you had a double wide, that's Whoa. two trailers essentially. That's like the Jeffersons moving on up. Yeah, exactly. So if you knew someone that had a double wide in the trailer park, yeah. you fucking hated them. Number one, yeah. because you were like, who do you think you are, you <laughs> fancy motherfucker, <laughs> bougie ass with your double wide trailer? You probably have a porch too. We had two. Two, two cinder blocks that you stepped up on into the onto the porch. And that's when you knew that you made it, when you got a porch. When you got a porch. Yeah, when you built on the porch Upgraded to the trailer. Oh, to... hell yeah. Booker, this is fucking unbelievable, <laughs> man. I want to talk about this. Because, by the way, I was obsessed with Jessica White. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know who Jessica White is, right? No. What the fuck? Is she so a, he, a rich trailer person? No, Jessica White is from, he's from West Virginia. Fuck, I forget the town. But, um... I should, I should look up. Anyway, he um, he did a PBS documentary called The Dancing Outlaw. He was a, a West Virginia clog dancer. Come on. Yeah. And he did a, this PBS documentary, and he was just like, this, he was an Elvis impersonator part-time. And it's just him in front of his trailer with his wife, and he just threatens to beat her, the whole the whole documentary. Sounds which, about right. you know, back in the 80s was, I guess, hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, and Still kind of funny. Roseanne I mean, Barr. <laughs> Roseanne, not in 2019. Roseanne Barr saw this documentary and put him on Roseanne, like flew him out to Hollywood. And then he he moved back to wherever the fuck it was in West Virginia. It was like this big celebrity. Then they made another documentary on Netflix now. It's called The Wonderful World of the Whites, which you should definitely check out. I don't know part of West Virginia. It's probably on another part. It's very downstate. I can smell this already. This This is Bluefield. This is Beckley. This is some downstate West Virginia people. Did he have the accent? Oh, I mean, like, I, yeah. I can't Downstate. Really, but they did the, the, the accent. One of the things I always find fascinating about really deep Southern and Western, they do that. They pronounce the W-H. What? What? Where? Where what? were you? What? What? The what's. Part of the what family. The <laughs> So <laughs> weird. That the, you never had an accent that bad, though. No. no. Did, your, did your mom or dad? Yeah. M- well, my, my dad that, bra- my stepdad was from Ohio and he was a teacher. So he sort of didn't really have an accent okay. at all and my mother was from pittsburgh so okay. she had that she didn't really have much of that pittsburgh because it's really bad in pittsburgh that accent is very thick i think it's just kind of growing up at that middle ground you don't have that yeah yeah exactly because that makes sense because west virginia has that kind of like loopy yeah. loop thing and pittsburgh pictures were flat so yeah. kind of in you're, between you the really two. bounce between the middle it's I yeah. can, if I hear someone from the Ohio Valley, I, I, I'll walk up and say, you're from Moundsville. Like, yeah. I will know immediately. Yeah. Can you spot most Southern accents? Like, oh, Georgia? Yeah. Well, Tizzy, I moved well, in my radio gypsy tour. I, I moved a lot. So when I left West Virginia at 21. Where do you go 20, to college, by the way? West Liberty in West Virginia. West Liberty. Small, I, yeah, I've heard small of it, though, yeah. So I, when I left there and I went on my radio journey there, my first stop was Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Okay. Because when you lived 
in West Virginia, heaven was Myrtle Beach. Oh, my God. Of course. I'm telling you. The Redneck Riviera. It, well, the Redneck Riviera is technically Florida, but it is the really? same feeling. Yeah. Okay. Redneck Riviera is – that would be – all of the Florida sands. Was Anything na- with white sand in Florida is the Redneck Riviera. Okay. But same point. Mm-hmm. But it, everybody from – I think there was some stat that a third of the state that had ever went on vacation, they had went to Myrtle Beach. That yeah. is all we knew. That is the only place. If you would have said to me as a kid, you're going to Beverly Hills or Myrtle Beach, where would you rather go? The answer is Myrtle Beach. Myrtle, of course. So I ended up in Myrtle Beach. I don't know how, but I got a radio job there next. And the South. So how did the radio job come about? I mean, we, we, well, I was on the radio for a few years, and you send out audition tapes. And now I, let me ask you this, because uh, I'm very curious about this. Okay. Because we first start radio, you just play music, right? Mm-hmm. And then you go, this next uh, song from like I don't know what type of radio. <laughs> like, I was so bad. <laughs> I've done all formats: rock, top, top forty. So during this time, you all... I was doing pop. Back but then. in the beginning, where 40. do you go? Because obviously, one of your skills is you're really good just speaking improvisationally and off the cuff and and bringing comedy to just a talk format. And the transition from just playing the hits to that is not easy for a lot of people. I would say the same of you. How did you possibly learn to do stand-up? I know you know how to talk, and I know you know how to stand on a stage, and I know you can tell a story, but how can you know where those pauses are? It's just time. Yeah. It's having headphones on. It's incessantly listening to yourself and trying to pick apart every single thing that you do, and yeah. it's just that. It's the same It's the same muscle you use. So just a lot of time and practice. So you moved to Myrtle Beach, and this what was the job in Myrtle Beach? It was the same. It was a top 40 station. I was doing nights. and. Um, Did you ever do a voice, like have a radio voice, like, hey, guys, welcome I think, to the... Um, I think more of when I started I did. I, th- I thought that you had to put it on a little more. It's funny. When you get into radio, in your mind, you have what an announcer should sound like. And it's always like from the 50s or something. And it's like, hey, I'm the radio guy. Come in it hot. I don't know if I ever had that kind of puke delivery, pukey delivery, but it was... I was emulating something. Yeah. I don't know. And I think over the years, you find your voice. Yeah. You find out what it is, where where you live. And the more and more that you do it, it's funny. You get closer to human. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. But there is it – is, it is a tick up from human. It's it's like you being on stage. I think it's not similar exactly, to being stand-up, yeah. You're not yelling, you're not, but you're presenting. Yeah. When you start up as a stand-up, you definitely go out there. You're like shot out of a cannon. You're doing all this shit. You're right. like – you know, I think when I first started, probably when you saw me, maybe there was, you might see a little Dane Cook in there. Mm-hmm. You might see some people. I mean, I was like a, a Chaplin fan. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that it's only recently that I feel like I go on stage, like I just took a shit and I can just talk about whatever the hell I want to talk about. But that's only been probably in the past few years. So it takes really? a long time. So um, when you're at, at Myrtle Beach, this is like, this is a dream gig. You're from the single wide. Do I they have a call job. the single wide? No. It's just a trailer. <laughs> just a trailer. So you're from a trailer park. Now you're in Myrtle Beach, which yeah. is the destination, and you have a job. Yeah, I have a and job. And this job probably pays you enough to live in a non-trailer. I made $16,000 a year. Which in 1947 was, no. <laughs> so $60,000 a year. But that's, that, is that enough to live on? Yeah. I bought a house for $79,000, three blocks from the ocean. I think our house payment was... I don't know. I want to say it was like 350 bucks a month. I I was married at the time. I got married married when I was 20. You were 20, so you're still in college. Yeah. You're a college sweetheart. No, just 
a girl that worked at a beauty salon that she wanted out and I wanted out. And, you know, we decided to uh, go on the road together. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Until, well, that's a whole other story. But our dreams didn't, well, initially they did match up. I said, this will be fun. This will be a, let's. We'll get out of this shithole. Yeah, let's get out of this dump and let's go see the country. We got to Myrtle Beach and it was okay. She changed her mind. She didn't want to leave. And my next job was Kansas City. So she didn't want to leave from Myrtle Beach. She from, liked her life there. We were there for a couple of years. And you got hired in Kansas City. You're like, I, I got hired go. in Kansas City, but she came. Um, and she very quickly realized that I wasn't content there. I wanted to continue. I wanted to, you know, work my way up and eventually get to New York or Los Angeles or um, somewhere. And she just, and it was fine. We, and we were kids. We didn't have kids. Um, so we remained friends and it was, it was amicable. It, it wasn't a, it wasn't a tough split. It was a, it was more like a breakup. Like yeah. you broke up with a girlfriend yeah. that you were with for a couple of years. And you hadn't really made any real money yet. So you're like, no, Woo! we had no money. <laughs> yeah. So you're off the hook. No so, way. I mean, obviously the, you know, one of the things I want to talk to you about was, is Howard Stern. Mm. So when you were coming from radio, was he, was he an influence at this early stage? In Myrtle Beach, full circle. My radio station that I worked at um, eventually changed format, and they went from Top 40, which I was doing kind of Top 40 alternative at the time. It would have been like Green Day and yeah. whatever the <laughs> whatever the music was in 92. Three doors down. <laughs> 91, 92. Spin Doctors. Now, yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> You're not three doors down yet, but definitely a little bit. A little bit Blues Traveler. Wrong. I played that. Blind Melon. Nirvana had hit by then. Mm-hmm. Pearl Jam had hit by then. So, so it was a good time for music, actually. It really yeah. was. It was a really sweet spot. And Top 40 was kind of dying because Alternative Rock had taken over. And I was one of those guys. I was a dude's dude. And Top 40 dance was never really my thing anyhow. So yeah. I kind of fit in. I fit in when that format got really When the really grunge hot. stuff came alive. Yeah. I was the kind of perfect kind of DJ for it. Yeah. So... I was almost right place, right time for my career. And when yeah. that music started to break, it was good for my personality. It matched to me. Yeah. Um, because a lot of top 40 DJs were a lot of guys like this. And Alternative wasn't about that at all. It was a bunch of guys. We were a bunch of guys that we were misfits and we all drank a lot, all of us DJs, and we were fun and whatever. But um, back to the Stern story. Started, sorry to take you out of that. Um, my radio station flipped format to a classic rock station, and classic rock to me as a 20-year-old kid or 21, whatever I was, was death. Moody like, blues. Yeah, Ugh. fuck that. I did not want to – I didn't want to fear the Reaper, okay? I just didn't. <laughs> was not my thing. I didn't care about yeah. Led Zeppelin back then. Purple Haze. Yeah, yeah, no. I did. I yeah, just, I get it. I didn't I'm care. Saying. Music was vibrant and hot and amazing then. And I was, so I was like, gosh, shit, I got to leave this radio station – but the morning guy that they put on was Howard Stern. And it was in Myrtle Beach. In Myrtle Beach. It was his smallest radio market. I think it was his 13th radio station. And he was just getting syndicated. So he was just being sent out there. He was, Howard was really coming into. So he was really actually in Myrtle Beach, Myrtle Beach. He wasn't just. Oh, no, 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 no. He was syndicated. syndicated in. It was his smallest syndication market. So I had taken another job in a market. Um, in a market, speaking radio, in a city called Florence. And Florence was about almost a two-hour drive. So I uh, I didn't know anything about Howard Stern, 
but I had one of these radios. It was made by Mitsubishi. I don't know why I remember that, but the tray opened up and I could stick five cassettes in it and I would get those 90 minute cassettes and I would load the thing up before I went to bed and I'd press record. So the first couple hours were nothing, but at 6 a.m. So from 6 a.m. to 11 a.m., I could get the entire Stern show. Now I had a two hour back and forth commute every day. So I went from, I don't know anything about this guy to him being my favorite radio personality in the world. I'm like, this guy's amazing and and completely changed my voice and my show and my act because I realized, wait a minute, why don't I just why don't I just be like normal? Yeah. <laughs> like why am I shucking you can be and yourself. I can kind of be myself. And I think he taught my entire generation of alternative rock broadcasters kind of that. That we can just we can go on and just be cool and you know, yeah, be flippant and and that was what the format was then that's where music was that that's where the attitude was that yeah. that was the angry young man that mm-hmm. time of music of nirvana and pearl jam and alice in chains, chains yeah. and that music so he matched up perfectly with that and um and then you know as luck would have it i worked my way through i Kansas City, then I went to Pittsburgh, and then I turned down a couple of jobs to go to like Detroit and Philadelphia, and I ended up getting a job in New York working for WXRK. Yeah, so I, I want to get to that a little bit. So um, when you're in, because I remember when I was younger, and I watched Private Parts, mm-hmm. and I read the book as well, and I remember thinking, and I actually, it's so funny. I thought I I I thought about Howard Stern today mm-hmm. because I was talking to someone who is being like abused by their boss. Mm-hmm. Not physically, not like hashtag me too, but just sort of taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. And I remember in private parts how Howard Stern would just be like, nah, I'm done. And he would just quit things. And I remember thinking, like growing up and having like a, a, a blue collar dad and like yeah. like quitting was such a, you just didn't quit you things because you had an idea about something else you wanted to do. But he, he just basically quit him, quit on the way to the top because mm-hmm. to, he knew what he wanted, I guess. Mm-hmm. So did that reflect what you were doing? Like when you left these places, were you quitting or were you just being rehired by new places? Absolutely. I was an angry young man, as I uh, mentioned, <laughs> and I was hellbent. I was going to get to the top. I was going you, you, to get to, to New, New York, York. was the goal. That was the goal. Wow. And, and you're I, 22, 23? Yeah. Okay. And I, I got there when I was 25. So that was my goal. And... I, I, I would, I was a maniac on the radio and that got me there being a maniac. What do you mean? Give me an example. Like where was the moment, where was the moment where I'll give you uh, something. So Florence, South Carolina, I had this Florence was, I make fun of that tiny little town, but it was, it was the best job for my radio career ever. I had a guy, his name was Harold. He was the owner of the radio station and he owned a few more, a few stations in town. And the best part about him was he was an ex disc jockey. So he wasn't just some banker dude that bought a radio station that didn't know what to do. He was the cat daddy in the South. So this guy was kind of a boss jock heritage disc jockey. So he hires me an angry young man. That's got a lot of hopes and dreams and piss and vinegar in me. And I just, I go and I probably ripping off Stern. I'm just being a shit on the air every night and I'm hanging up on people. And, um, I think I got girls in the studio and doing just whatever I could. Yeah. Just trying to get noticed and trying to put together a, a really good tape to get the fuck out of there. So I forget what I did on the air one night, but the next morning Harold came in and Harold is exactly 
in your mind what you're picturing. He's Colonel Sanders. His <laughs> pants are up to his tits. Boss hog. He's boss fucking hog. Exactly. Mm-hmm. White mustache, the whole thing. And every sentence with Harold started with goddamn. <laughs> so he would walk into the room. He'd say, goddamn, Booker. I came into the radio station this morning. And goddamn it, this woman, she was waiting in my lobby, pissed off about what you said on the radio last night. Now, I'm 20. One, two. I'm scared to death. He's the owner. Yeah. And I respect the man still. I wasn't like, I, I wanted the job. I was still a meek kid. Yeah. And I was, I, I said, well, should I not do that stuff? And he looked at me. Well, goddamn, Booker. That woman, she got all the way in her car, came all the way down to my radio station to yell about something you said on my airwaves. Goddamn, Booker, what are you nuts? You keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> and that was the moment. I realized that I that I was doing something right. Yeah. Now I think a lot of and if you saw private parts, I think there there are a lot of program directors or a lot of owners or Paul bank Giamatti type. Yeah, banker fucks just or failed disc jockeys that are now running radio stations that would have just said stop, and he didn't. And I don't know what would have become of me if I didn't have that kind of lesson or that just that one person to believe and say and say that sentence so that was a cool moment and and there were a lot of cool moments after that and i did work for some good people i worked for some shits too yeah but um you've come far enough you can talk you can tell those stories too (laughs) you did you have any story of uh of quitting or getting fired where there was a moment it was like a heart of darkness moment you're like my life is over my career is over i fucked myself what am i going to do i mean i've had those as as an actor in my life for sure you know not completely i mean i don't i've screwed up a couple of times and and i've been fired for no reason before they all kind of even out yeah Um, for sure i I have friends that'll tell me stories when i was young of things that i said or that i did in meetings like i told him that he you told him to fuck off and i was like no i didn't they're like (laughs) two people were in the room like yes you did i'm like i have no memory of that so i'm sure that i did but i think you just grow out of it and you look i'm the kind of guy that I, i haven't taken a sick day in like 12 years i have that that Midwest yep. mentality, like I'll be there. Yeah, roll show up. Get I'll, work. Yeah. I'll be there. So, I, I did have that feeling. I, I never really wanted to be fired, but I have had that. That is this the right thing? And as you get older, it's harder because you're yeah. trying to find your place. You know, as you you're not the young kid anymore. You're not the new toy. So yeah. you got to kind of find your. You have to be a professional. I have to be a professional now. I, I, I can't be the, the shit that's like, oh, fuck everything. Because yeah. I won't get a job if I do that of now. Course. I, I don't believe. The do job me- now is staying employed. Just staying employed, of course. You know? Do you remember, um, and, I'll, and I'll tell you a story that maybe this will help elucidate what I'm trying to, uh, the point I'm trying to make. A moment where you said, you, you, you said, I'm going to take a risk here. And um, I don't know if it's going to pay off, but early on, your, I think early on in my career, I was doing a show at the Laugh Factory, which I came up, and it was, uh, I think it was a benefit, or whatever it was, I showed up to this show, it was a special show, it was packed, and the guy came up to me right before I got on stage and said, listen, no jokes about race, religion, or sex. Well, that sounds like your act all of a sudden. I knew it. Right? Yeah. So I go, um, and, and, I, and, I, and I wasn't um, g- good enough yet to sort of just impromptu like let me tell you about my mom and her wacky ways so i went up there on stage and from all these people and i said look i just got here they told me not to talk about race religion or sex so uh 
Anyway, I was finger blasting this black chick during Ramadan, right? <laughs> and the whole audience laughed. And I remember going like, oh, fuck. There's, there's something to, you know, not just being a dick, but if you're clever enough in the way that you're a dick. Right. So was there a moment where, because where, obviously from, from, from doing the hits and doing the songs and listening to Stern, was there a moment where you felt like there's no going back now? I've created this persona. I've created this type of way that I want to engage the audience. Do you remember a moment where, where the first spark of, of, of lightning, where you said something, where shit got kind of crazy and aggressive? Not, no. not so much. I, I remember moments of getting in trouble, but most of the time when I was in trouble, I, it was warranted. <laughs> like I said stupid shit. So, Do you remember any stuff that you said? I really? remember one of my favorites is uh, Malcolm X's grandson i believe set him on fire killed him terrible horrible thing wait malcolm x's grand grandson set himself on fire okay yes okay no set maybe his grandmother or someone like that someone in the family he had set on fire and i'm sorry i don't remember the story i've tried to erase it from my mind you just (laughs) just dragged it up ptsd here yeah it was something to that effect. Uh, the, the grandkid killed maybe the grandmother, set someone on fire. It was a horrible, horrible thing. Um, and it was a news story that was in New York, and it was kind of a it was a it was a thing. It was the you know it was on the cover of the paper for a day. It wasn't a story that you'd remember the next day. Yeah, an, an awful story. But I came out of a commercial break, and I was about I was giving something away, and the woman's name was Betty Shabazz. <laughs> Yeah. And I said, I came out and I said, uh, we're giving away tickets to blah, blah, blah. These tickets are hotter than Betty Shabazz. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, I guess some dickhead congressman that didn't listen to the station or somebody running for some sort of office, it got to this person who never would have listened to the station in the first place, yeah. decided, well, I'm going to go get me a headline and put this kid's head on a stake. So they called the station and... Tom Chiasano comes in. You got to go on the air and po- apologize. And I'm like, ah, it's a dumb joke. Yeah. Because the person was like, well, that's a very racist joke. Whoa. Because she was black. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, black don't- people burn more. We know that. <laughs> <laughs> don't back me into that corner. I said, it was, I, I, there was, race had nothing. I, of course. I, 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 I'm so dumb. I probably didn't know she, that she was a black lady. Like, I, I had no idea. Um, but they wanted me to apologize and blah, blah, blah. And they picketed around the radio station at the bottom, which was fun because I went down to the picket line and they didn't know who I was. And I walked up, hey, what are you guys picketing? <laughs> this uh, fire booker. And I was like, who's he? Oh, he's, they didn't know. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I walked away. I'm like, it's me. Is there press? Uh, is there TV and stuff? No, nobody cares. The, the people were just trying. The guy was trying to get himself some press paper. yeah and okay, he was trying to use something that he'd heard from that somebody had said and the whole thing went away i apologized it, it was a bad so joke. you apologized to i had to go on, on the, the air, air and just said look i said something yesterday that was not appropriate did you but feel- that was one of those times when i said if i was really in the heat yeah i don't know if i could take it when i look at people like howard who has been in true heat yeah. just that little that little uh, spark of flame scared the shit out of me. Yeah. And I don't like being, I'm a pleaser generally. I just Mm -hmm. am. Yeah. So to know what he went through and some other people went through for 
you know, basic FCC rights or just trying to figure out what you can and cannot say. Yeah. I, I can't imagine how hot those flames were back then. I, I can imagine a little bit. Yeah. It was hot. So yeah. do you feel that he kind of helped pave the way for just he your, paved it for, for anyone that yeah, I think for anyone that's funny on that medium. So nobody uh, knew how to be funny on that medium before. Of course. Nobody nobody did. Yeah. It was a lot of like he says, morning zoos and um I there were probably political guys doing politics that maybe had a, a point yeah. of view but I, as, for, as comedy goes no one was doing that i think when i was in elementary school oh, i forgot how old, but there was a, a plane that crashed into the 14th street bridge in mm -hmm. washington i remember this i remember the story i think it might have been in private parts it wasn't it was in the book it was in the book but he called up, I guess, American Airlines and said, can I have a one-way ticket to the 14th Street Bridge? <laughs> or, or he asked if that's going to be a stop. <laughs> a layover or something? Is that going to be a stop from here on out? Um, and I just remember people were, you know, that's yeah. the Bible well, Belt there. People died. And, yeah. But it, you know, raises that question. It was a joke. Of course. And I'm sure he felt horrible about it if it got back to anybody. But it was a, it was a bad joke. Yeah. Or was it a good joke? Or was it a good We're joke? We're still talking We're about the joke. We remembered it. The question it. is, was it too soon? I don't know. I, that's that's for you comedians to dice up and I mean, try to figure we're, out. We're, we're, we're kind of like weird cousins with each other. You know what I mean? We're like Christians and Jews. We're mm -hmm. sort of like the same thing, but different. Because <laughs> it's what you. So I want to hear how how you finally got to to New York. So this is on your on your. You had the goal. You had the agenda. Mm -hmm. And obviously, everyone doing radio probably has that goal. So how did you get that? Um, I think it's just networking back then. You you put together your best audition tape, and it, I, what I would, is an audition tape for okay, radio? Was it? Mean? It would be just. It would be uh, three minutes of your best, five minutes of your best material. It'd be yeah. it'd be like an actor submitting your reel. It yeah. would be uh, a stand up submitting that to and it'd be whatever like a cassette club. tape. It'd be a cassette tape, and you'd send it to everybody. And I sent mine to everybody for a good four to five years and literally nobody answered me back. There were a couple of nibbles when I was in Kansas city, I got a call from another station in New York. The guy said, I'm watching you. I'm not going to hire you, but, um, but we know you exist, but I know you exist. And I was like, this is amazing. I'm on the map and you go a couple of years and you don't hear from anybody again. And for me, it was, it, it's sort of like when you become that it actor for a second Radio used to be like that, where people knew where the good guys were, or where the, you know, there was no internet. You got to yeah. remember. So it was a, it was a finely tuned network that was run by a five, six guys. And yeah. once you get on their radar, you're on it. And I went from, I couldn't get anybody to listen to me to this guy, Scott Shannon called me for, uh, Philadelphia and then my competition was trying to get me out of Pittsburgh because I was a maniac on the air. And they sent my tape to Detroit. And now the Detroit wanted to hire me. And I went up to that shithole and I was like, no way. And I said, I'm going to stay here in Pittsburgh until New York calls. And then my station was sold. I'm like, shit, I'm out of a job. And then the next day, New York called. Wow. So it just went from I couldn't get anybody to listen to me to like the big guys all of a sudden were kind of like, no, I got him. No, I got him. And I was like, this is great. Yeah. Um, it was like a bidding war for you. Well, then the weird thing is you, you would think going to New York and um, being on the Stern station, it wasn't, I would have thought in my mind, I think I thought it would have been liberating and I would have continued doing the same kind of radio I was doing in Pittsburgh and in Florence and in, um, Kansas City even, um, 
but I quickly realized that I couldn't because this was Howard Stern's radio station. And I, I was very respectful of that. And I yeah. didn't. You didn't want to try to be yeah. the guys and who we were competing were, with We them. were an alternative rock station, and I think I was there to be a jock. And it it, it it took a little wind out of my sails because I wasn't having as much fun yeah. on the radio that I that I was having prior to being there in the small markets where nobody cared. And yeah. it's, it's like it'd probably be like playing a stand-up room where you know there's no one going to judge your yeah, career. You're, you're just Tupelo, there just to like blow their the fucking Hollywood hair back. Laugh Factory, like, you know who's here in the room, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. It is that same feeling. Um, so for me, that it, it, that was a great thing because then I said, well, then I, fuck, I'm going to get on television. What am I doing with radio? Like I got, I'm in New York. So yeah. I went and got a job at MTV, you know, and I How'd went you get that, that job. Just same thing. Through radio. One of the radio guys ended up going to MTV to run it and, uh, they needed some VJs for MTV2, and I didn't know what I was doing. And there were nine people watching MTV2 when it first came on, like <laughs> yeah. literally, like no one was watching. So I got to cut my teeth a little bit on that and sort of learn how to do television and learn how to, you know, talk to the other side of the camera and to the people. And how was that different for you? Like, what was the big adjustment you had to make for that? I didn't know what I was doing. It, it, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I ever knew what I was doing, to be honest with you. It, it, was, it was incredibly hard. But it was MTV2, and it was an extension of radio, and I wanted to be a little bit more irreverent. So it, for a channel that nobody was watching, it kind of worked. Yeah. Um, I did a couple of MTV shows, and I don't know. Then I moved to Entertainment News, which is weird. Um, I went to Entertainment Tonight from there. I know you were in Entertainment Tonight. Yeah, I worked there for a few seasons. And, and you were just the, 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 the... I was just a correspondent from New York. And that was something that I absolutely hated. What did that mean, being a correspondent? What I, was just, I was just a reporter. I would be the guy that... So you'd be on the scene at the red carpet yeah, or whatever. Mary Hart would be in the studio. Let's go to Booker in New York. Hey, Mary, I'm here with Brad Pitt. Hey, Brad. And you'd talk to Brad. And, and then back to you, Mary. And you know, I'd say something fun. And um, it was just interviewing people. And I enjoyed the interview the interviewing part of that job and 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 interviewing celebrity and and just seeing what that whole world was about but the problem the thing that i didn't like about it was if i had a good conversation with someone it, it, it would never make the show it would be more about you know et was there with the exclusive and tonight we saw jennifer aniston and we saw let me see that ring oh my god yeah you know, cut that to her was face, it. and then then the ring, and and oh god! And if and, 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 by the way, if any of you ever get famous and you want to be on TV, and you want to make sure you're on all of those shows, one, key tip one hundred one: just say the name of the show. It doesn't matter if you are the des list wow person ever. They'll go, oh my god, they know the show because they 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 have they're they're tiny they they're tiny in their minds. They're like, oh my god, someone knows us. They're egomaniacs. They just want to hear their own names. <laughs> so if you say the name of the show, you're gonna be on the show. Yeah. Always. So that's great. And it just became it it really wasn't fun just chasing people around and asking questions. Some stories from that though because Oh I have a lot, sure. I mean I've interviewed I interviewed all of Hollywood. Who for, who was who was um which which by the way, I mean most people would would like kill over and die just at the prospect of, of doing that. And you're mm -hmm. very, very, oh, I'm talking to Brad Pitt. Was there someone that you, first of all, did it take, were you never starstruck? Did it take you a while to get you like, oh my God, I'm in front of, or did you never care I'd about that I'd been in radio shit? long enough that I knew not to be. Yeah. And it, it look, that show, this is, remember, this is kind of the beginning of the internet. So these shows, that show, a lot of people watched. Yeah. You know, 
Mary Hart was a thing. And oh, for sure, um, I know her name. Yeah, the show was relevant. Um, so it was it was stressful. And you know, when you when you went out on the carpet, you needed to be prepared and prepped, and you needed to have a plan, and you needed to know who you were talking to about what, and have you seen the movie? So it, there was a lot of work to it. Um, but yet you were still looking for that funny moment. You wanted the soundbite from them. But it was, mostly. you're looking for the soundbite. Yeah. And the best, the, the, the bigger the actor, the, the higher they are in the business, the nicer they are. So Interesting. They, the ones that are good know what the hell they're there for, and they also know what you're there for, mm-hmm. and they're not leaving till they give you that moment. Like, let me give you my favorite, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is my favorite uh, person to ever interview. Tom always remembered your name. Tom, so even if he hadn't seen you for months, he would remember your name. He was that good. Fucking And crazy. I am a nobody. He, and I shouldn't say that because there were only a few shows back then. So there, it wasn't like you had to learn the whole internet. He had yeah. to learn me. Yeah, I'm the lower rung. But I'm on the pole at least, okay? Yeah. I'm on the bottom of the pole, but I'm on the pole, and the pole only had 15, 20, 20 yeah. people you needed to know. So, but still, Tom knew who I was, and 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 the good, the 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 big ones always did. So Tom would come up, and we'd do our dance, and we'd talk, and he knew he was going to stand there. Until I got what I needed, until I got my moment, because he knew he was wasting his time unless he gave me that moment. Why else is he there? He's there to promote what he's there to promote. And yeah. he, wa- he wants to make sure he makes that connection with me and the show. Yeah. And the good ones knew that. Yeah. The Sharon Stones, the Tom Cruises, the John Travoltas, anyone Hanks, that's a yeah. Scientologist, all of them. They, <laughs> the Scientologists oh, they're it. fucking great at it. They they <laughs> know it. They must have a training session or something. <laughs> sure I want to be do. one of them. How come they haven't tried to get me yet? Um, <laughs> you don't vibrate enough. I guess Sorry I don't. That. I don't have the right vibe. Um, but the bigger the actor, the the nicer they were, and and the better they were. They, yeah. they got it. They got the gig. And there's always the assholes, too. You get the assholes along the way. And Oh, come on. You got to give one good asshole story. My favorite. I, I feel badly that I always throw him under the bus, but Please fuck him because he was an asshole to me. Ashton Kutcher was the biggest jerk I've ever met in my life. And there's a lot of people, and I've met a lot of people that have said he's a great guy and this and that and the other thing. I can only tell you what I experienced, and I always say that to people. He could have been having a bad day, and I, yeah. to this day, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt because I think he was in a situation that he wasn't prepared, he wasn't prepared for when he was dating Demi Moore. Okay. And I think the whole world trying to come at him, as my show did as well, and I'm, I'm, he, has, he, he needed to know what my purpose was sitting down next to him. I'm not there to talk to him about his shitty butterfly effect. Okay. <laughs> I'm there to get the moment. Yes. Tom Cruise would have known I was there to get the moment. Yeah. Tom Cruise would have expected me to ask the question that I needed to ask. Tom Cruise would have been prepared for the question and would have had his, you know, brush away answer to make me even feel great knowing yeah. that I didn't want to ask the question in the first place. Of course. Well, Ashton Kutcher was probably new in that and I always give him the benefit of the doubt, but we were doing Sundance and he had a new movie out, which wasn't a Sundance film, meaning it wasn't being shown. It was being shown for distributors. It's already Thank bought and they're just having bought, a screening. Yes. But he puts a screening up because he knows he can go get press. Yes. But I'm there and I'm the press. So when you when you go to do Sundance as a reporter, you got to go see a litany of shitty movies. Yeah. 
Awful oh, movies. And awful. you got to be prepped. I, you know, I got Courtney Cox. I got to talk to her tomorrow. I got to go see her movie. I got Macaulay Culkin, who's in Party Animal or whatever the movie was. I'm going to talk to him. I need to see his movie. See, there's a lot of homework. So his movie comes out. He does the press junket here in Los Angeles, and it's for the butterfly effect, and he does the press junket. And so we've got what we need from him, but he's coming to Sundance, which means, hey, he wants some press. They want some press. They want some heat. They want to get this movie going. So they say to me, book, we got Ashton Kutcher. Okay, his movie's going to, he's going to show it there tonight. All right. I'm busy all day, by the way. This is a working Sundance is the the, the hardest job I ever did. Yeah. It, it was waking up at four o'clock in the morning. Oof. We started taping at six. I t all through the day, interview, 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 different places back and forth, um, covering the parties at night. And you're thinking, oh, the, yeah, the party's boohoo. You're beat to death. Okay, yeah, yeah. You've interviewed 94 people. You're trying to get screenings in. You've been on 20 carpets. It's exhausting. It's just it's tiresome. So. We get to the screening, we get to the junket, and I say, um, you know, I, I haven't seen the movie, obviously. So g g give me a little foreplay here. So is it like a, a theater and he's no, no. sitting on a this, panel? This was, it? he's at a bar. At a bar. And they did a setup there, okay. much like we are right now. It would be an outside area and we're sitting outside. There's like a couple of chairs and I'm going to ask him some questions. Now, my, now I say to the show, I said, look, I haven't seen The Butterfly Effect. I have no idea what this movie, it doesn't matter. We're just, he knows they know we're just here to talk about Sundance. We want to get, we have plenty of footage of him talking about the movie. That's what we're here to get. Got it. Cool. So I say, cool. Okay, cool. Just make sure his people know. I come in, I sit down, we start talking and I say, uh, so let's, let's get into the, let's, you know, this is almost my buffer. Let's talk about the movie. Now I haven't seen the movie obviously is tell me about the butterfly effect. He said, well, what part do you want to know about? I said, well, I actually haven't seen the movie. I said, but, and that's another thing that always bothered me about interviews. The people on the other side, the people watching on TV, they haven't seen it either. So yeah, it's actually okay know. if I haven't seen yeah. it. Sell it to me. Yeah. That's why you're sitting here. Okay. Yeah. Monkey perform. Okay. Yeah. You're here to, to actually sell it to me. So it's okay if I haven't seen it. Any professional, any person that's seasoned, any person that gets it that's on that side of the chair should possibly know that. Yeah. Oh, no, not Ashton Kutcher. What do you mean? What do you mean you haven't seen the movie? I'm here for Sundance. I said, I, I thought they told you I'm here. I'm working all day long. I've done a lot. You know, we're doing screenings and such. I said, but it's okay. I said, you know, we're going to talk about. You know, meanwhile, we're the experience we just, of Sundance, what we, Sundance right. means to young filmmakers and blah, blah. Yeah. Bullshit. We're trying to get like the a Demi Moore look or look, they're here trying to get a picture of them, whatever. Yeah. But I am going to have to ask him about her. Yeah. It comes with the territory. I'm of sorry. Course. You're famous. It comes with the territory. I don't even get to that. What do you mean you haven't seen the movie? I haven't seen the movie. So he, he takes his microphone, <laughs> you know, his little microphone, his little lapel deal and kind of throws it down. He's like... <laughs> This is ridiculous. He looks at me. He goes, look, he goes, I don't know how long you've done this. He goes, but you should be professional. He goes, you should take your job seriously. And I looked at him and I said, excuse me? He said, you know, there's screenings all day long. And I said, yeah, because I'm sitting around all day long, ready to go to a screening. I said, I'm here for Sundance. I said, you're not a Sundance film. He goes, well, you should be professional and you should be prepped for this and, throw, and throws this fucking microphone down and walks away. And I'm sitting there thinking... This is for punk, isn't it? This is for the goddamn punk show. This, Do you really honestly think that? I, it had to be. There is no possible <laughs> way that he's going to take the number one entertainment show with a camera fucking running 
and say this to me. Just this, I'm just a reporter. I've got yeah. no agenda against him. You're not the I'm producer. sorry he's dating somebody famous, but it's the game, man. It's the game. Mm-hmm. So I'd never been treated like shit by anyone like that in my life. And yeah. I, I just couldn't believe it. And when I called the show, I go, they're like, how'd the interview go? I go, not well. <laughs> you'll see. We didn't get much footage. Um, oh, my God, that's so unprofessional. Blah, 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 blah. Tune in the show and runs as normal. Now, I'm just not in the clip there with him, obviously, but Ashley Kutcher's here at Sundance, whatever. And I, that's what I realized, like, it isn't about me. Yeah. It is about him. And they're going to erase me from the history of everything, except for this story right fucking now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and that's what happened. Like, they didn't care that the show must go on and, and, and I am insignificant and doesn't matter that he was a dick to someone on their staff. No one apologized oh, to Oh, yeah. You. There was no, hey, man, I'm sorry. I had a bad... And I get it. He could have had a bad day or maybe he wasn't prepared for that kind of heat. I get all of this stuff. But it still doesn't really kind of excuse you for being a dick. Yeah, yeah. So, there's well, my, there's my. That's the absolute lowest I can, I, well, I can. I think they threw the mic down and they went looking for the the production team from Punked, <laughs> and they went to get a burger, and he never found them. He's probably been. I wonder for if that was since. before or after. It had to be. <laughs> I, I just couldn't. Be, I just, I just couldn't believe it. Wow. I was like, I'm the scum of like, and I felt bad. That's the best part about it. Yeah. I felt bad. I'm like, why do I feel badly about this? Yeah. I, I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> and even even your boss, because it seems like obviously somebody dropped the ball on oh, yeah. your team. On tell- telling him. Yeah. Or someone, or it could have been his team. Yeah, but no Either one way, you don't apologize. treat people yeah, that of course, way. Of course. Obviously, even yeah. with, especially with the camera. I would love for someone to find that footage. Yeah. I would love it. Well, I think that was, I think a butterfly effect at that point, he thought he was a good actor maybe. You know, until it all got revealed in the Stephen Jobs movie, what a shitty fucking actor he is. Like as a dramatic <laughs> Your actor, not like, mine. next. No, I mean, I'm just telling a he's factual great in story. Show, but as a dramatic, that's when I saw him do that Steve Jobs movie. What was it called? I don't know, whatever. Jobs. Just Jobs. I believe. Was it called Jobs? Yeah. Are they all called Jobs? He he did this like walk where he kind of like. I'm imitating him, and I'm just like, dude, that's like when you're doing your first play in college. And you like right. adopt a walk that you think this person does. I was like, oh, he's so good. Look at he's doing a different walk for that character. I'm like, dude, you're fucking in a huge studio of film. You suck, you piece of shit. <laughs> anyway, um, the, my words, not yours. Anyway, so um, so that's so you're doing entertainment night, and you're still doing the radio. So this is a, your life is full, man. You're yeah. doing fucking everything. Yeah, and you're still doing the radio un- concurrent with this. Mm-hmm. And did you get married again? Were no. you married to like a Lopez or something? <laughs> well, that well that. that <laughs> Sparked a whole other part of my journey, I guess, being celebrity adjacent. And so tell people who don't know because I'm so oh, okay. So I was dating Linda Lopez, and that's uh, Jen's younger sister. So we dated for five, four, four five, six, I don't know, a lot of years, quite yeah. a few years. Um, and during that time, Jennifer had gotten very popular. Huge. And, you know, Linda was me she was she was the exact me she came up through radio she was on vh1 i was on mtv she went to e-news i went to et we we did a morning show together in new york city we were each other we were we were each other's best friend we were we were in the same boat the only difference is she has this 
incredibly famous sister. Yes. Who was getting more famous by the day. And this was like right when she was at her oh, peak. Oh, this was this was all of it. I mean, yeah. it was Diddy, it was Chris Judd, it was Ben Affleck. Mm-hmm. So that's a really wild part of my life being in the middle of the two most followed, sought after, talked about. I think Kevin Smith said they knew who those two were on the moon. You know what I mean? Like they were that famous. Yeah. So I was always in the back seat. I can't tell you how many times I could open up people magazine, like my hand, (laughs) (laughs) but it, it was odd because it had this effect on me that I didn't, I wasn't ready for because I've had all of this drive and I had accomplished these things that I wanted to do. New York radio and, um, being on MTV and uh, just kind of being in the mix on that. And it wasn't until that, I think that slowed me down because huh. I decided that I didn't want it. Because you looked at it, you're like, oh, this is bullshit. And it's ugly. It's ugly. Yeah. And not not that Jennifer was absolutely lovely. I mean, yeah. I, I would never. Just what's around it. Yeah. And it's, the people it's, around it's it. It's the I people imagine. around it. And, and fame, when you... What you think fame is and what it really is and and having a front row seat for it. And we didn't even talk about the Stern side of it, knowing my idol and working at K-Rock with Howard Stern. There was another side of it. Yeah. Um, but knowing what was going on and how much pressure there was and watching Jen and Ben trying to manipulate the media and try to manipulate the story and trying to it's like, whoa, 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 it's not this. You, you can't control the machine. And here I am. I'm an entertainment reporter. I'm part of the machine. Hell, yeah. I was probably put into that job because of them. Um, it was ugly. And I just didn't, I didn't, I, I, there was no part about it that I fell in love with. Mm-hmm. Until now, if we fast forward, we'll get to that. But doing a podcast, I found a, I found a part of entertainment that I love again. Yeah. Um, but seeing that back then, it kind of stopped me a little bit in my, in my, I don't know, trajectory because I, 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 I fuck, I oh. kind of feel like, yeah, sorry, got a little call there. No, I'm turning this off. I don't <laughs> know anyone in Seattle. Spam. <laughs> I don't know anyone in Seattle. I kind of feel like, um, I was just turned off by everything, and I, I didn't, you know, fame. I, I, I still wanted the money. But fame really got ugly to me. It really became this ugly thing. Like, I think the idea of being chased around by strangers with cameras is appealing to some people. Like, oh, I'm so important. Yeah. Until you're actually driving the car with two or three people in it. And there's like a motorcycle next to you and there's a car behind you. And there's people trying to take the picture. And you're like, Jesus Christ, this is scary. I've been that guy. Yeah. And and I was like, just chill out. And there's no... There's no time out in that. There's no, hey, man, you need to back off. Yeah. That, that's, it's like me. Like, I can't tell you how many times that I, I almost snapped and, like, punched a paparazzi guy. Yeah. Because they literally will st- – like, I'm invisible to them. They'll literally push out me out of the – shove me to the side. I was like, hey, man, don't touch me. You yeah. know what I mean? I saw my neighbor get shot. <laughs> <laughs> I will shoot you. <laughs> um, no, it's just – it just – I don't know. A lot of it turned me off. Yeah, no, that's that's fascinating because I mean everyone, I think you know, people either want f- hello, 
We, this is the great thing That's about Amazon. this podcast. This is Amazon. <laughs> hey, I will take. I'm Bill. Oh, you called me from Seattle. Hi. Oh, she's the Seattle call. Thank you so much. Amazon. Thank you so that? much. I appreciate it. Have a good night. <laughs> this is why I like doing podcasts where every once in a while, like, someone be in a really deep thing, and then like, and then you'll hear, "Oh, thanks for the cookies." Um, <laughs> so, uh, so because I think most people in the world, the masses, the great unwashed people who are even starting entertainment or comedy, wherever it is, they have this idea that they want fame, obviously, and they want and they want to be rich and famous. But usually, fame has more of a it's more of an intoxicant than than money right so um it's what a would unicorn you... though because it's it's almost impossible to achieve it's just and yeah. people still chase it oh they still chase it they know this they hear the stories yeah they they hear you go it's fucking ugly and they go yeah but i still want it i want they i do. want to know how ugly it is yeah yeah not was me. It, was I some... can honestly say not me i just i live here in los angeles i don't hang out with celebrities. I don't go to celebrity parties. I don't ache for any of that. I hang yeah. out with my girlfriend and her family. It's just, I, you, it, it's was, so not real. Was there a moment where you kind of, did something, was there something that happened specifically? Do you remember a specific moment? I, I get the whole idea of being chased by paparazzi, but was there something where you kind of like, sort nah. of like the matrix got revealed and you're like, oh, this is fucking, I think ugh. it's just, uh, you know, pull the lens back and you look at all of it and you yeah. say, this is, this isn't real. It's not real. And, what are you what are you what are you trying to do like what are you what are you what are you chasing what 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 is the hole inside of you that you're trying to fill up with this idea of something and yes. that's i think what it was for me and yeah. one day i just put down the cup i'm tired of trying to fill up this cup yeah. i just want to make some money and i just want to be good at what i'm doing that's it yeah. that's what i want to be now and be good. happy and and, and so happy. do you think that this affected your relationship with linda oh, or was that i mean we don't have to get into that that's two young kids that's just two young, two young, kids, young yeah. kids i mean Jeez, yeah, we adore each other still. I mean, we're still very good friends, and um, you know, seeing fame and I always, you know, trying to imagine what she went through. You know, yeah, she, she's essentially, she's essentially me. But all, I forgot to tell you about my brother, who's the most famous person on the planet. Yeah, exactly. That I'm always going to be compared. My, my to. My brother's Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's. A psychology to all that that I can't even imagine trying to uncrack or solve. I yeah. just, uh, you know, she was just, you know, she was my girlfriend who happened to have a famous sister. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and did she not have a, did she ever talk to you about, did she have a problem with it? Was something that she seemed like she, no, no. she was pretty good about it as no, well. I think she's much smarter than me and uh, I think really had a, a pretty good handle on it. Yeah. What's yeah. interesting about this with the paparazzi, because now, you know, going to sort of the current Part, part of your life, Perez Hilton, because he was the he was the sort of the queen of the instigator, the, the boil of, on the ass of humanity. He was kind of like the the Milo Yiannopoulos of of the paparazzi mm -hmm. back in the day. He's obviously he's changed. So how did that relationship come about? I, first, I, I I want to back up a little bit about Howard Stern. Did you ever? So when you first met Howard Stern, that must have been a big moment for oh you. Oh my God, you kidding me? I mean, the guy that I sat in the car for four hours every day yeah. listening to. And what was that like? Oh, you, it's it was it was insane to to get a job at WXRK in New York, 
and to walk into that studio, which was the E studio, we all broadcasted out of the same studio and it was so well lit on TV and it was such a dump, just a <laughs> shithole, an absolute dump. I couldn't believe it. I was like, I'm in New York and this is the ugliest and worst radio station I've ever worked in. This is unbelievable, unacceptable. <laughs> um, meeting Howard was, I think I was walking down the hallway with Gange or Ralph or someone one day and, um, Howard yelled for whomever, and someone said, I'm with Booker. Oh, Booker. Bring Booker to me. I want to meet Booker. And I'm like, oh, fuck it. This is it. I'm going to meet Stern. Yeah. And um, I, I, he, I, I couldn't get over how um, sweet he was then and has always been. And I've always heard that, yeah. He's, uh, out of all of my friends, I, I, I think I could easily say he's probably the nicest. Wow. He's the nicest human being. It's hard to believe the things that have come out of him because he's so sweet. It's the it's the only word I could use to describe him. He's a he's a really sweet guy. Yeah. Thoughtful, attentive. Uh, once you're in his laser lock and talking to him, you know, he's he's captivated. He's not looking around. He's you know, he's he's a, just a sweet guy. I'm yeah. I'm lucky to know him and I was uh, lucky to be befriended by him and Yeah, as I was say the moment of being a, an employee and then becoming friends, it's yeah. always a huge moment like, "Oh, I'm it's like yeah. when, when like a huge comic goes, you want to go on the road with me? Yeah. But at the end of the day, we're all just kindred spirits. I mean, when a comic does that to you, it's the same for me. Yeah. Because he knows he moved to Detroit. He fucking had to work in Hartford. He knows that I worked in Wheeling and Myrtle Beach and yeah. Kansas City. We're just two guys that have paid those dues. It's just kindred spirits. And I, I'm sure you could sit down with any comedian and you guys can just, it doesn't matter what your background is. You could just, you pick up on... To us, it'd be program directors or some <laughs> dick that did us wrong or some bad facility we worked in or, hell, we talked the other day about headphones. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's things like that. Yeah. Interesting. So you're still in touch with yeah, Howard. Yeah. Some of that. That's so cool. Um, and your your job in New York, when did that, why did that end or was it just Well, the radio a... station changed formats. Howard left, went to satellite, kind yeah. of a bad regime came in to run the company. They did not know what they were doing. Um, I had taken off at some point just because I couldn't, I just couldn't keep up with the craziness that was going on. It was just a bad, just become a bad radio station. Yeah. And, um, and I wanted to do mornings and I'd left and went to Philadelphia at some point. And, uh, just, that was when I, and it's funny when I got to Philadelphia, then TV came calling again. Like I, I was, mm, I'm done with TV. I, I really want to concentrate on doing radio. It's the one thing that makes me happy for sure. I know it makes me happy. And then I got a call to do, um, TMZ before TMZ. The idea of TMZ was to have different hosts and they wanted me to be one of them. I got a When I was working in entertainment tonight, I got a call to do a, a game show and my agent's like, this was when reality TV was like frowned upon. Yeah. People may not remember that, but <laughs> everyone used to poo-poo on reality TV. Now you'd kill to host one of those fucking shows. Yeah. But, you know, back then, I remember my agent calling. He goes, you know, you just got this Entertainment Tonight job, but I don't know. Fox is calling. They want you to do the show. It's called American Idol. They want you to look it for you. <laughs> nah, not interested. <laughs> Dumbass. <laughs> I would have fucked it up, though. People are like, do you regret that? I'm like, nah. Yeah, it's more of that show's built for a Seacrest type. Ryan is so good at what he does. He's such a facilitator. Yeah. He knows how to to move the pieces around the board, especially when he's hosting a show. Yeah, he gets that it's not about him. 
me at that age, I probably wouldn't have gotten that. I would have been Dunkelman part two. Oh, by the way, the Dunkelman story is great. A lot of people don't know about the Dunkelman story because Dunkelman is a stand-up comic. Yeah, and so, he was the guy next to Seacrest on the in first season. season one. Yeah. Of, uh, now I've seen his stand-up, Brian Dunkelman, mm-hmm. uh, at the Laugh Factory actually, and he and he talks about. It. And it's funny because I think a lot of us have moments where we've been close to something big. Mm-hmm. Like that, something zeitgeisty and uh, adjacent. It's what I always call it. Yeah, <laughs> big um, adjacent. <laughs> and then there are people who, when that happens, they kind of have a kind of whimsical sort of approach to it, and they think it's kind of funny. And Dunkelman, it's clearly like eat, eating his soul until he <laughs> he dies, because he talks about it. He's the he original gets, drummer of the Beatles. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that was a real story. I mm-hmm. thought that was just an Eddie Murphy skit in SNL. <laughs> so, so Brian Dunkelman. Yeah, what what happened with that? He did he because he quit. He quit. He's like, I'm too good for this. The first season was kind of a dud. It hadn't really caught on. A few yeah. people watched it. I think he thought that it wasn't for him, that it wasn't going to go anywhere. And, you know, Seacrest wasn't letting go of that. Yeah. And they just made it one host and he was out. And then around <laughs> somewhere in the midst of t- season two or three, that thing just blew up and it became a juggernaut. Yeah. Have you ever talked to Dunkelman? <laughs> like- I've never met the guy. No. <laughs> I, maybe I have. I, yeah. I don't, I don't even know, know if he's still doing stand, but he was. Anyway. So, um. So you're in Philadelphia, and TV TMZ came calling. and They, they did. I believe Ellen's show called. They needed a DJ. There was a couple of things that I could have got back into TV for. I could have come out here for television, and I had just accepted a job in Philadelphia. And it's I wasn't going to leave. It was a morning show, and they sold me, you know, you're going to come down here, you're going to own this, and uh, we're going to make a commitment in you, and blah, blah, blah. They fired yeah. me two years later with fucking <laughs> ratings. I mean, it, it, everyone's full of shit is the end of the story. Yes. But I really got hosed on that one. I Because I, I, you turned down like a legit I turned down a stuff. lot of things yeah. and you know because you're a loyal dude yeah and there's a there's there's a lot of other things i, I i've turned down as well I, the thing is with me when i was young i knew exactly what i wanted yeah now i'm not sure so much anymore sometimes i toy you know maybe i should be doing mornings and then i go do i really want to get up at four o'clock in the morning <laughs> do i really want to do all that work do i really want to host another television show if it's not going to be the television show that I want to do. Yeah. And I'll segue you perfectly into the next chapter. And almost accidental, podcasting. And that was with Perez. Perez had a global deal with the company that I work at that he had to provide them with a podcast. I don't even think he wanted to do it. But they wanted to find him a sidekick and they were looking for girls. And uh, I filled in for Carson Daly back then on the radio all of the time, and I did reports with Perez, and Perez and me got along real well. You know, he he was always shocked that I knew that I could sing uh, from Annie, you know, or uh, or, <laughs> yeah, or that I'd seen a lot of theater in New York. Just you know, and, and we just got along good. It's him and I have a very Siskel and Ebert yeah. t- tennis. We 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 really. We, we've established our roles. We've been doing our show for about four years. We're over 200 episodes in. We've never missed a show. Um, so we, we've really got our roles defined and down. So Yeah. yeah. So tell me about the podcast. What, what is the nature of it? Um, you, you know, it's funny on the way in you ask, so you, you probably have guests like, no, we hate everybody. <laughs> we would rather just go on and, and just pick each other's brain. And Perez is, he's really talented when it comes to presenting a story and knowing the minutia of it and really understanding 
all of the pieces and who the players are and the amount of prep his mind must do to he just loves it on top of it yeah and i you know i almost get to play the devil on that i he's he's one of those people that buys into everything like oh my god this happened and i'm like uh bullshit that's not what happened here's what happened I call bullshit. Yeah, that's so what, the show. What is the, uh, the format? Is called, the show is called I, I Call Bullshit. <laughs> no, <laughs> the show's just the Perez Hilton podcast the with Chris Booker. And is is the uh, the, the premise of is it? entertainment news? It's, it's just entertainment, entertainment news. news. Is it um, as sort of scandalous and kind of like his old the old Perez Hilton that apparently no, he had I, some sort of epiphany no, change from I, that? I, I think that it's just. I think it's a real version of what entertainment should be. When you sit and listen to people talk about whatever story, whatever Kardashian story, if you hear two girls talking about that, you'll hear what they really want to know. But if you tune into, and I don't want to pick on E! News, but if you pick tune into E! News, you'd have some plastic heads going, the Kardashians tonight, they're all pretending to be news anchors and they're yes. presenting this like it's a news story. Yeah. We're just two dicks that are giving you the story, have real Hollywood insight because we both were a part of, and currently are a part of the machine and can give you kind of insight of what's really happening. And and then we find jokes in between all of this. So yeah. it, for some reason, it really works. And for me, that's what I like about entertainment. That's the one thing I've found. It's the one presentation of entertainment that I actually enjoy. I enjoy doing the show. I like our conversations. Yeah. And the conversations can just basically go anywhere. So <laughs> with, you know, I am producing the show, so that's a neat role for me. I've never done that before. I've always been kind of the guy driving a show. Um, so I keep it, I'm very, I keep it on track. It's, yeah. we don't meander off. We, I keep him on track and we, he knows he knows what I'm doing now, and yeah. I and I and we the shows uh, the shows the same show every week. It's just different names in there. It's different. We names. have our roles established. It's, yeah. So do you, is it mostly about celebrities in Hollywood, or is it about TV and movies and things that are being done? It will be. And sometimes this week he started off and he was talking about his sister and how his sister didn't invite him to his fucking birthday <laughs> to her birthday, and uh, L.A. baby. Yeah. Not an emer in New York we would go, not an emergency. That's just somebody trying to get up 10th Avenue. Yeah. Um Here, here's every time I hear sirens come by here, it's like here's how you know you're in a good neighborhood because you hear the sirens but you never hear them stop. <laughs> <laughs> when they stop you're in a bad neighborhood, but they always whiz by West Hollywood. Nothing's happening in West Hollywood. Right. <laughs> um yeah, but it's 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 just it's fun. We've I, I hope people would check it out if you if you've come this far. God knows why you would if you if you're still interested in anything I've said. <laughs> okay. um, the, it's two really kind of very very polar opposite different Absolutely. people. Absolutely, you guys could be more different. Mm -mm. But that's sort of why it that's works. That's great. Yeah, you see the Siskel and Ebert. It it really is that. It's it's two people that uh, respect one another, but still we can go at it. And he never, he never gets hurt by anything I say. And, <laughs> and he understands that I'm just being a dick because there's a microphone in front of me. And yeah. that he starts being a dick and then it gets fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Because yeah. the old Perez was fun. Drawing yeah. dicks on faces was hilarious. Yeah. I, I, I mean, Perez was, there was a point where he was huge. Yeah. I mean, in entertainment news, he was like the biggest. Yeah. And people really, I mean, I imagine he probably got death threats all the time. Oh, yeah. It's probably a very softer side of. He has three kids now. You know? He has three kids yeah. now. So. Um, so is this show, do you, do you ever do something the show where you feel like, ah, that's kind of mean, or you feel like, fuck it? 
Um, I think he's very cognizant of that now, and it's not. You know, I, I could pull out the snarky bitch out of him. Yeah, you know, the the uh, snarky gay guy will come out of him, but uh, that's not. It's not the purpose of the show. It's we, more tongue in cheek. Our show is the people that were fans of his then. So we're looking at women that are between 30, 30 and, and 45. And, yeah. and sometimes we get younger people and sometimes you get outside of the demo, but it's, it's a lot of people that we know who's listening. So yeah. we tried, it's very edgy for, for, cause we know sometimes there's kids in the car. We're like, try not to curse, but <laughs> you know, we can't stop ourselves. But also I feel with podcasts, a lot of things you can tweet something, it gets, comes back and you get fired. You can write something, come I haven't heard much Isn't podcasts where anyone said, oh, he said that in a podcast and now he's fired. For some reason, podcasts are exempt from I that. I tell you what, let's pray that it stays <laughs> that way. And I don't even like that you're making the point because it's a very valid point and someone will pick up on it and say, you know what? There's another platform out there where we can ruin someone's fucking life. Let's yeah. go. Let's go. Let's go dredging through old podcasts of people. Oh, Problem man. with podcasts is most people aren't that interesting. They just, they're just not. They're just not that good. But yeah. this is a, sh- a show that we do, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's good. I, so, I'm what proud do you have? Do you have, do you have plans for the uh, before I let you go? Any plans for the future? You press. You have other ways that you want to have your have your kind of Cisco Ebert relationship pan out. Like, is there TV stuff? Is there other stuff that you want to do? YouTube. I I don't have an answer to that. There's. I think. I think we would like to put together that kind of show. Um, I'm more of the. Let's organically let it happen. Yeah, because our our listenership is pretty good now, and I think some people are finally starting to pay attention a little bit. Yeah, and I'm more focused. Like I said earlier, I just want to be good. Yeah, and I want it to be good. So if something good happens from it because you're good, great. That yeah. that's where I am with it. Everything else is maintain, and there are some you know there are more radio things that I'd like to maybe conquer, but we'll see. Yeah, I'm not angry. Yeah. Yeah, you, you man, you look good. You sound good. You Thanks, look man. you look like you're fucking happy. I'm happy. Much happier than when you're dating Karen Bernstein to bring this back full circle. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that could be another podcast for another no. day. No. <laughs> <laughs> or never. Um, thank you so much for coming out, man. Good it was seeing really you, good. brother. Uh, good yeah. seeing you. And hope hopefully you'll come by the Laugh Factory. Last time we went to Times Square, Jamie put you on stage and you actually told some jokes. I did. So you uh, do you don't remember that? No. You went on stage I, you I'm told sure some I jokes. bombed. No, you're, I was like, this guy just never did it. And he got on stage and he got a fucking laugh. Fuck him. So, uh, so maybe you'll come back and do it again. Oh, I have such respect. I, I just, I love what you do. There's a couple of bits. There's one bit that you do where you get the black guy to say the N word. That is the, one of the funniest bits I've ever seen. Oh yeah. That's and, good. and you talking about the racist part of Virginia, all of it. That's yeah. one of my favorite lines. And your pauses are just phenomenal you pause better than anybody just oh wow it's good how to know. you bounce into a joke is is magic i love I th- it i think that's just like years of me just being a hacky theater actor <laughs> and doing mugging for, for for effect and shit like that bring but that you hold it up. well you just stop <laughs> and you just let it sit there for a second it's great it, it is i will say this it is a i've learned this recently it's a great moment where you say something you get a laugh and then you can i consciously completely consciously just go what if i pretend to fall asleep literally i go what if i and then i start again and for some reason like, i don't know it, it it took me a long time just to feel even like i was yeah. it's the same on the radio it's the pregnant pause on the radio a pause is so effective and so a lot effective. of people don't use it and yeah. it's uh it's such a cool tool yeah mm-hmm. um man chris i'm so glad you, well booker don't call you chris anymore right 
Sometimes. Booker. <laughs> I gotta play Booker. Booker's I a lot cool. more fun. I want to feel cool. Um, so the podcast that you're doing is called The, the Perez-, Perez Hilton Podcast with Chris Booker. My social media is all Chris Booker. Chris C-H-R-I-S-B-O-O-K-E-R. Um, so check it out. Um, I mean, I haven't listened. To, I'm going to do the Ashton Kush. I haven't, I haven't listened to the podcast, but you know, I will That's now. That's fine. You didn't call me a dick and <laughs> throw down a microphone. All right, man. Thanks for coming. Have a good night, buddy. My brother. Take Bye. care. It's the after laugh, after laugh. Welcome to the after laugh, after laugh, after laugh, after laugh, man. <laughs> Go ahead, pull up a chair. <laughs>